Hi guys, just a really quick announcement before we start. At the very beginning of the episode, we had just a few minor audio hiccups for the first few minutes. And at the time of the recording, Josh was living in Topanga, and right around sunset, there are frogs that literally come out from the woodworks. So through part of the episode, you'll hear our little friends come and join us to play along. So please enjoy their company. And without further ado, I'm proud to present one of my favorite podcasts that we've recorded to date. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. We're really delighted to have a dear friend, Jessica Planchett-Shinners, as our guest today. And not only is she a deep, dear friend of Josh and I for, God, the last 10, 12 years, but Jessica and I also had a beautiful dating courtship for a couple years, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But one of the reasons why we're so excited to have Jessica with us is She has been in this world directly and indirectly about fulfillment in basically really all areas of your life, including your spiritual life, your business life, your personal life. And she's been doing psychotherapy for, God, about 20 years now. She's built conscious communities. um, And she's really learned to bring in this blend of Eastern and Western practices into what she does. And so I'll go ahead and kick it over to Jessica so she can maybe give us a little bit more about her background. And I also wanted to ask her what we ask every guest on here is what is her personal definition of fulfillment? So I'll hand it off to you, Jessica. So what is your personal definition of fulfillment? And if you could give us a little bit about your background and you know what you have to bring. Wow. Thank you so much for this invitation to have a, a meaningful dialogue. It's like one of my favorite things to do in the world and is one of the components of fulfillment to me is meaningful, living a meaningful life. And as short and skinny of it is, I could wax philosophically and probably will for in a little while, but at the, at the epicenter of it is for me fulfillment is the embodiment of love and I strive to do that in all ways in my life I strive to do that with everyone I interact with let alone the clients that I work with and uh, Epictetus who is Marcus Aurelius's teacher said that half-heartedness has no power. And I really believe that to be true. And so living a life with a, an open heart, not the emotional heart, but the high heart, the, the seat of the deep wisdom that resides in all of us and 
getting connected to and staying connected to that place is really the work and the joy that everything else is connected to. Mm, Beautiful. When you say, maybe you can define this a little bit further, but what do you mean by half-heartedness? Is that when maybe people aren't stepping into their their full potential? They're allowing maybe something to, to maybe dim their light or dim their output to the world? What do you mean by half-heartedness? Well, a more crude way to say it is, is doing it half-assed. Um, not having your complete and utter yes behind it. And so there's a withholding. There's a withholding of love. There's a withholding of possibility. There's a fear of risk. Uh, there's scarcity involved in it. It's a closing down and a constriction. And in that, I believe that we don't allow for creation to work through us as an open conduit between heaven and earth. And so as God, I didn't know I was going to throw in so many quotes here early on, but as um, Khalil Gibran will say on his musings of love, you know, if, if you would only want to play in the, in the joy of love and not the full spectrum of love, then you will cry, but not all of your tears and you will laugh, but not all of your laughter. And so wholeheartedness to me means that you're willing to take that very deep, emotionally mature step in loving with your whole being, knowing that it is totally unfair, that it is messy sometimes really ugly, but it's, it asks everything of you. And it seems to me over the course of the 20 years that I've been doing this, that those who have been were most um, willing to play in that full spectrum, the dynamism of life and work through the tribulations of it and keep your heart open really when you want to close that, you get the treasures on the other side of it. And um, it's just deeply mysterious how that all works. But uh, I heard Tim Ferriss say, and he was quoting somebody else, like, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah, I've heard that quote before. I absolutely love it. Now, how much would you say, so me and Josh actually just finished up a podcast about um, getting really comfortable with um, the uncomfortability of stepping into something bigger than yourself, stepping into something that is going to make you grow, is going to stretch you, is, is possibly going to have to have you leave things that are dear to your heart, that are comfortable, people, places, and things. Um, you know, how much would you say that that becomes a part of the whole kind of synopsis of what you just talked about, about being half-heartedness, right? They almost go hand in hand. It's getting that, that muscle of being uncomfortable to really step into the unknown, to be that conduit to allow yourself to go into a direction that's dark, to go into a direction that doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah, we're not really comfortable um, as a culture and a society around 
things like the mystery and death and uncertainty. Uh, we're really scared shitless about it. And uh, we try to do everything possible to uh, go towards pleasure and avoid pain. And, you know, that's what Vipassana meditation really taught me. I did it at eight and a half months pregnant and uh, God, <laughs> it's nothing like sitting for nine or 12 hours a day when you're eight and a half months pregnant it makes you want to run out of your skin. But once I, I got beyond that, it's, it's all temporary. Just saying in, in that um, lineage of Anicca, Anicca is it's all temporary. It's going to change. Just take a deep breath, lean into it, open yourself up and and allow something new to come through if you're not latched onto the story. And although the, the discomfort or the sensation, so to speak, around uh, the discomfort may not change, your experience of it can. And it was such a good preparation for my birth process because you know, you're, you're looking down the portal of, of life and death and walking that razor's edge of creation and annihilation. And it was so helpful to entrain myself that it's all temporary. It's okay. I don't have to avoid this and push it and, and covet that. It, um, it was greatly helpful to have a, a visceral experience of that. I have a question for you, Jessica. I'm curious. I'm curious your perspective. I know you have a long background in, in psychotherapy and, you know, I'm curious your perspective. There's kind of this balance between, uh, there's a lot of work with the story and, you know, sometimes we need to go into the story to kind of get clarity and sometimes people can use the story as, so sometimes they suppress the story and never get to it. And other times they make that their life and kind of hang on to it. So just kind of curious, you mentioned the story a minute ago. And, you know, tied to fulfillment, I guess it's a dance, if you will. So I'm just curious your perspective on, you know, long background on psychotherapy, listening to people process and seeing the value to it and, and also seeing when it's too much. So somebody that's maybe listening, that's trying to find their way to fulfillment can kind of learn, are they suppressing um, or are they stuck in the story? Just curious your thoughts of anything around that energy. Yeah. You know, uh, just like, anything it's uh overuse tends to be the achilles heel of anything and at the point when you know the the insight using or as, as a teacher of mine would say you know you jessica you get to um take the lessons and leave the school bus behind so i take that in this figurative way of i can use the the silly putty of my life and the things that I've been through to elicit insights and um, awareness about where I've come from, the meaning it's made for me. And, and also in that, see that I, I have a decision point. I'm, I get to decide for myself how I want to view this and whether it empowers or disempowers me, whether it's a force of destruction or creation. And when I sit with people, I see where, where their stories ultimately are disempowering ones. I mean, I've sat with people who have been through the most tragic things that you can think of on this planet, the most horrific 
circumstances. I used to work with, you know, drug addicted, homeless population in and out of jail and mental institutions and foster youth who had been incredibly severely abused, neglected and abandoned. And it's my experience that those people who've been dealt the most intense circumstances early in life are the are the ones with the greatest potential. If they're able to transcend the school bus and get to the lessons that the school bus brought for them and then leverage that as, as that point where like all the greatest treasures can come from. I really do believe that, that, that we're given these hardships to, to help mold us and shape us into offering something of incredible worth and service to the planet. I'm not sure if that totally addresses your, your question. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's, that's, I think it's just the conversation around it. Cause I, I know uh, I say with a lot of, a lot of men that are doing a lot of this deep work of, kind of aware realizing where they've suppressed uh what i love about what you're saying is you you feel like fulfillment is not playing half-hearted and i and i loved even what you said is like being messy and the uncomfortable being messy and you know whatever comes up with our emotions and all this stuff and and so i think i think that's a lot of the reason there's a lot of people hurting is because they've suppressed a lot of it and then i also see there's this other side that's made that their story and they're actually addicted to the pain of their their trauma, if you will. So I, I think it's just a, for anybody listening to, to, to seeing which side they're on. Right. And maybe that's it. Maybe if, if it's somebody that's used their, their life to continue to have a story of what's not working and you continue, continue to hear yourself say that story, maybe it's time to, to choose a new story or to let go of that story or to surrender that story or to empty that out. And, and, and maybe the other conversation is if you, if there's something missing or you're not totally fulfilled. Uh, and I know that happens with a lot of achievers or very busy people like myself, where I was just, I was suppressing a lot for a long time and didn't think I was suppressing. I thought I was achieving and, and, and realized that. So again, I, your, your background is so interesting with psychotherapy. And, and so I was just curious on that. Yeah. That's yeah you know, just to piggyback on that. I, I really believe that we need to seek out safe, environments for us to go off the off the chain we need to get wild again we really do need to rewild ourselves and come back to some of our primal nature it doesn't mean chaotic it doesn't mean barbaric it means quintessential and as more of our our technologies outsource some of the human capacity or human jobs and work that we've done. I really believe that some of the last bastion of what we have are these native intelligences, our our somatic intelligence, our spiritual intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence and creativity. And in order to reconnect with that, we need the, the alliance and the container to get crazy sometimes. And that is not often. I I work with a lot of male leaders and the organizations that they run. And there is so much fear and so few uh, contexts for, for them to 
get primal and get back down to and, and get messy and dirty and not be in charge of things and not that they're going to harm someone, not fear that they're going to harm someone if they let this rip. And what will be liberated in the aftermath of that in getting more to the core of who they are and stripping away um, projections and ideas about who they should be. And oftentimes the more, quote, successful you are, the more mass, the more layers there are to uphold. And it just gets, I think, further and for, we get it, these men and women, but I, I see it a lot in men, get further and further away from connection with their quintessence. You know, going back to what you were talking about earlier, you, and you answered part of the question that I have was, you know, for me, not getting, I guess, stuck in that story and almost having that that realization or I guess that that foundation, if you will, that all those hardships, even when you're in it, can be of service, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think by labeling it that way, seeing it that way, it almost takes you out of the story a little bit. And it, and it makes you kind of approach it from, from a different circumstance. Um, I know for me that it wasn't until the last few years and I'm by far, I'm far from mastered this whole concept and it's still a work in progress for me. I see, I tend to be more aware of it and I'm, I take a lot more gratitude in the hardships now um, as I'm, as I'm starting to go through them, but if, as someone who is in maybe caught in the story, you know, what, what advice or, you know, what feedback would you give someone to help them maybe when they're in that story? Because it, it is pretty hard unless you're doing, you know, some really deep work on yourself or you have some type of really big significant emotional event to rattle your world enough for you to step back and to see it. And it's not only that, but to have the environment and the support group around you, to be nurturing enough to let you, you know, kind of experience it in a, in a different way, if you will. But what I've seen is that to get to that process can be really difficult. And so, you know, what would your professional feedback or what would, um, you know, your advice be for someone that maybe kind of constantly gets caught in that loop? Well, if there is a pattern, a looping pattern happening I think anyone who is looking to optimize their life needs what I kind of tongue in cheek or jokingly call a spiritual board of directors. Um, you know, the work that I do these days is less on the psychotherapeutic realm and more as an agent of transformation. And I am so privileged to sit on the board of directors for a lot of my clients as someone who's holding the the realm of possibility for them. And so it doesn't have to look like sitting in the on the couch, laying on the couch for 10 years indefinitely. Um, I've I've gone in and out of several of my clients' lives over the course of the past 20 years. And yet just knowing that you could call upon someone if you needed them, there's something that happens energetically, knowing that you're a part of a strong lineage of um, some heavy hitters who are capable of seeing beyond what you're going through in the moment. Uh, I, I know that I'm 
would have never made it this far personally. My marriage would have never made it this far had I not had uh, the strength and the wisdom and the support of some really incredible um, allies. So I'd say first and foremost that because they can see things that you can't see. And if they are as if they're equally devoted to the process of their own evolution, then you can rest in not outsource, but rest in the fact that their reflection of you is hopefully going to be a clear one. You want to choose, um, you know, be rigorous and vigilant, discerning about who you choose to be on that board, because uh, there are people out there with a lot of agendas financial agendas, um, energetic agendas, building their own empires, status, etc. And so uh, anyone who's looking to further that or who is looking to give you advice, I, run the other way, man, as fast as you can. Uh, instead, look for people who are willing to ask good questions and evoke your own wisdom to see yourself because there is a fine line between a teacher and a thief. And I don't want to rob anyone of the opportunity to have um, a revelation that, you know, maybe have been set up on high for years for you to get to that point and coming out of your own mouth and your own opening is uh, imperative for it to stick. Um. If people are in the moment stuck in the story, I really am a big fan of doing something a la Tony Robbins to change your state. Um, a lot of my research is devoted to these sort of innate human technologies I was just talking about. I'm in a, currently in a doctoral program in leadership, and I really believe that that we need to use our bodies. We need to use um, our ability to open up spiritually and to innovate, changing the state, going, <laughs> doing what you got to do to shake it up and um, get out in nature. That's another really big one. Get some spaciousness around you. We are around tremendous amounts of density and EMFs and all of this, a lot of toxicity. And even for those people who have strong emotional hygiene practices, we still get slimed. It's just a part of this messy human experience. And so between strong internal practices, consistent use of those practices, what you know keeps you whole, and that, that equation um, that shifts over time, but muscle menos, those things that you know keep you centered, and then calling upon a, a trusted group of allies and getting out of dodge and mm. shaking it up, and finally not being uh, scared to lean in. And getting out of dodge doesn't mean running away, by the way, it just means some spaciousness to be with yourself. Uh, but or and while leaning into the process because in in that darkness you know as as the snake is shedding its skin it everything goes black 
it needs to rub against things and then it all it, it's blinded and that's oftentimes what happens before the light god i love that yeah that that's so fantastic you know and if it's if it's one thing that uh, i really try to live my life by and, and that's your environment is absolutely everything you know and that goes from the nature around you to the food you put in your mouth to you know your five closest friends who are who are going to be there to to help pick you up and to help motivate you and to to keep you strong and i i think it's your environment that's going to allow you to to lean in when when you want to lean back right because you know as human beings in this physical meat suit i think our natural tendency is to step back into comfortability and that leaning in is is not comfortable um and so i i really love what you said and even that i guess that that interjection of the emotional state to the physical state and just you know like really getting back into your bodies i think even some of that goes back to and maybe you can clarify this but even goes back to what you were talking about with I think you were talking about mostly with men and just getting more into that, that primal state, if you will. And I would imagine part of that is not just the, the mental state, but, but also the physical state as well. Oh yeah. It's huge. Uh, I am a huge proponent of wrestling of, of getting <laughs> just, I, I watched my man they completely transform after he's like gone out and been a gladiator. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think for women who are listening, encourage, support, invite your man to, and the men that you love and care about to uh, forge the kinds of connections with their brothers and um, trusted circles so that they can be held in the grittiness uh, of, of what it is to release on those levels. I have so much compassion for what men have been through over time on battlefields and, you know, at the hands of trauma and death and suffering and, to be on on the side of of receiving and and being the you know assailant as well and the perpetrator and oftentimes i think the the focus not to get too political here but on the on the heels of this me too movement is focused on what men have done to harm women and though that is incredibly important to highlight in a safe way because a lot of that has been hidden in the shadows i i don't think that it is very popular or um, spoken about about what men have endured the suffering that men have endured the reverse discrimination or the the sexism the um the fact that we're co-creating a reality and so many wars have been fought in the name of what men perceive that the women in their lives want in the form of power and status and money and all of this. And, and we as women have a immense opportunity to reevaluate and heal some of those pieces in us that would program and direct our men to, um, 
build these houses of cards and these fabricated um, agendas and get real about what's most important. And so said all that to say, I have a lot of compassion for both sides. You know, I really appreciate your uh, acknowledgement of that. It's interesting. Uh, I I do these men's retreats and at the last retreat, the whole Me Too subject came up and it was actually a pretty heated debate uh, that went on. And it's just kind of bringing light to the whole subject. So it's, and I think what we were getting to is the context of it. So, you know, sometimes the hurt hurts the hurt. I, you know, a lot of time hurt people hurt people. And also something you mentioned earlier is, you know, the, um, the co-creation, you know, of what we're creating to heal us. And so it's, it's an interesting perspective of having extreme empathy for women and what they've been through and feeling the empathy of other women to say, me too, I have a voice. And also uh, I've only, I mean, I'm just getting started. I've only had, you know, four retreats and 40 men. And what I'm finding interesting is over 50% when we get, when we create such a safe container to really share, like really go there, it's I'm finding over 50% have been raped or molested or some sort of sexual trauma from men or women. And they've just buried it down. And so it leads you to go, wow, okay, if this is over 50% of a small segment on a major scale are maybe some of these men who have been the, the you know, the, the, um, the ones causing the me too movement are at some core level where they traumatized or at some core level where they hurt. And it's there, it's not, there's no right or there's no right to take that back. And uh, I just think there's a lot of healing that's, that's needed. And, and it's beautiful for us to witness women come together and feel supported. And I think you bring up a really valid topic is I see a lot of men struggle with, and I'm using the context of men and women. I know partners, whoever's the masculine feminine, however, in the context that I've seen it, a lot of the men, as they do the work, or like David, you know, died as three levels, mm-hmm. if you will, and they move up the scale to becoming more in touch with themselves, a little bit more conscious and aware, almost move into a little bit more of a feminine state. And then that brings up a strong uh, partner. And then the partner's wanting the man to, you know, to create boundaries, to say no, to take them to, which actually in the frame of Me Too is almost doing the Me Too, right? It's almost the, the, uh, in a loving way, a loving, supportive way, taking the woman and feeling when she needs it and, uh, or the partner, whatever, you know, whoever's the masculine feminine. And so what we were kind of getting to is almost like the context. It's like, okay, if you're in a work environment and somebody's you're working for, it's not the context to, <laughs> you know, uh, take or to be in that energy or to, um, you know, having the right boundaries. And then in the context of a loving, supportive, trusting relationship where there's lots of communication, and lots of presence, having that safety to uh, feel when your when your woman needs you to step in and be stronger as a man, and not feel. I think a lot of men shut down and they go into this passive state, and they they have a either a father or a father figure or somebody who they saw and and they've associated that as like negative. So they they don't want to become that, and they end up shutting themselves down. Uh, so I'm curious your your thoughts around that because it's a lot of people are really heated about the Me Too movement. Uh, I like just looking at the different sides and, and observing the context and who it applies and having a lot of empathy for everyone. So I'm, I'm curious on, sounds like you're, you're acknowledging the man side of it as well. And uh, just curious to go a little bit deeper into it. Cause I know there's a lot of heat on both sides and like, how, is it, is it context? Is it, you know, is it in the context of work environment or the context of this and versus the context of relationship? 
or just curious, you know, um, your observations around it. Sure. I would say that unequivocally, anyone who is uh, harming another has been harmed in some shape or another. Like, I, I just think that uh, we don't know what we don't know until it's exposed to us and that we're given the permission and the spaciousness to acknowledge the trials and the traumas that we've endured. And that uh, I, I kind of scaled back a little bit and I see that there are what I would consider a soul. There's a solar feminine, a lunar feminine, a solar masculine, and a lunar masculine. And, you know, this uh, grandmaster Taoist teacher that my husband studies with, his teacher Vars, um, has this perception in his lineage that about every few hundred years, there is a major shift on the planet that uh, happens where, you know, masculine essence is has been embodied in a masculine body and a and a feminine essence has been in a feminine body but now we're we late 70s early 80s is what he says is when it started to shift where masculine essences are coming in feminine bodies and feminine essences are coming in masculine bodies more and more. Now, of course, these are generalizations. This is, of course, not for everyone. But the reason I bring it up is because never before, I think, have, have we seen, or at least in uh, recent generations, so many sensitive men and so many powerful women. And so a translation of that would be that the lunar masculine is on the rise and that the solar feminine is on the rise. And yet all of these um, live within all of us all the time. It's just a matter of the extent to which they're expressed. So going back to your inquiry around context, I think that as um, we start to, my husband and I call somersault more, right? So we're not identified so strongly around traditional gender lines that we have more freedom to play in in these various roles and um, aspects of ourselves that want to come out and be expressed and there's more permission than ever but we're finding that perhaps we, we are that transition generation where a lot of things are being broken up a lot of things are being unearthed and exposed these underbellies these things that um, have not been okay to mm-hmm. talk about or to acknowledge that exists within me too. Um, and that I'm, I am that I am. And that as we, as we start to dance in this more, you know, it may be that the solar feminine, the more young feminine is present in the boardroom. But I would argue to, to be, cautious of that because i i actually think we don't need more yang in the boardroom we we need a lot more yin and you know as maybe more men are becoming caregivers and um healers and are you know in a in a more yin quality that doesn't mean that 
they're not also holding um, the boundary and the container. And it's not as though we have to lose one in favor of the other. And it's a matter, I think, of giving ourselves permission to cultivate these very dynamic aspects of who we are and work through the shame, um, have the audacity to uh, bring our wholeness to every situation and then use the discernment. Of course, you're not going to, you know, like maybe be as forthcoming and, (laughs) you know, as you would with your lover in bed around playing some of these edges out. But energetically, I feel like um, we can start to give ourselves more permission to um, be discerning about what applications, what essence to bring at the right moment. And within our partnerships, like who, who is best to lead in this moment? You know, um, you know, we all go through trying times in our relationships and sometimes it's for the other one to hold us so that it, like in the V formation, one can take that step in the back and just be, you know, take that rested place and vice versa. It may be that the, the man is best equipped to be in the home with the children or do we have the adaptability and the flexibility and the trust to discern who is best for the job at the right moment? And would you say that's not based just on um, scenario or, I guess, predefined roles, but I, I guess allowing ourselves to be adaptive enough to say, here's a situation which I feel like you could be the strongest to lead the family, lead the firm, lead the team, if you will. You know, that takes a lot of strength to be able to, I guess, have that vulnerability, but then also have that strength to be okay with, um, you know, stepping, stepping up if you're not, that's not naturally your tendency to, to be the leader and then to, you know, let go of the reins and to have the vulnerability to have someone else lead. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we're kind of seeing more and more on these agile teams and flatter organizations is that it gives the latitude for people to step up instead of being in these, uh, pigeonholed roles that says, I'm always a leader. Well, maybe I'm a leader of this, but I'm a supporter of that. And uh, just allowing for more dynamism and how we show up uh, according to our strengths and our genius and our capabilities moment to moment. I think we're seeing that starting to be reflected in organizational structures too. And just to quickly tack on, you know, a little bit about the conversation on what you and Josh had just brought up. And, you know, what I'm seeing a lot of my practice is in terms of uh, courtship and dating and relationships, there, there seems to be quite a bit of, of struggle of, and I don't want to even call it defined roles, but there sometimes, there sometimes seems to have this lack of maybe one person stepping into the masculine or one person stepping into the feminine. And you're getting this almost like this compromised homogenized kind of variant where people are almost very utterly cautious, if you will, about maybe stepping on toes or um, 
you know, offending somebody. And so, you know, what I've heard a lot from women is like, you know, I'm, I'm craving a guy to, to, to really step up and, you know, maybe step into the masculine a little bit, you know, also to allow his feminine to come out and, and, and to be heard and have that great communication. But, you know, if that is his core nature, you know, women, at least the ones that I've been encountered with are, are craving for, are craving that to, to really have that expression in their man that is, is really at their core. And so, you know, I see part of this Me Too movement and, you know, there's some of the conversations that I've had with men is they're a little bit intimidated to rock the boat if you will. And I know that there's a lot of them that, that, that want to be there for the women. They, they want to lead in certain areas in certain times, uh, but they're afraid and they're scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, oh, yeah. if, you've, if you've seen that as well, you know, I, I don't know if it's part of the, you know, the time that we're in that, like you said, there sometimes there has to be a spotlight to really shine some of the injustices that have been going on. And then so sometimes we have to almost depolarize something before we can almost go back mm-hmm. the other way, mm-hmm. you know, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I really pray, like my greatest hope is that, you know, kind of like the Occupy movement, it's great that a lot of things got shook, shook, shaken up, but there's the what's next, right? Okay, this has been exposed. This is ugly. Uh, it's way bigger than anyone maybe thought or that some people would like to think. And so now what? And now what to me looks like it's time to do some work. And it's time to see where I can take radical responsibility for my contribution to this piece and stop blaming and pointing fingers and uh see where I need to heal those places in myself, where I turn my back, where I um, say yes, when I mean no, when I collude with something, when I, when I am not standing up and using my voice. Um, no, I think that we are in a lot of upheaval and I would love to see that men and women get the healing that they need and that of all of these posts and in such a, I would love to see much more around resources. Where can people go to get help? Where are the reliable safe places for people to work through this stuff? Because it will play out in our romances. It will affect our children. It will affect businesses and organizations that wield tremendous resources and shape our planet and our use of our natural resources. You know, this is fundamental to how we sculpt our world. And so, uh, yes, to your point, I see a lot of this myself and that women are scary. (laughs) There is nothing, I think, that can cut a man down more, very few things that could cut a man in half more than a woman's tongue and render him completely and utterly um, decimated. And it's kind of like the only defense mechanism we really have. We're not as brawny 
and don't have the physical acumen that men have. And so I think we've uh, yielded our tongue as the sword and uh, castrated, energetically castrated men. And it, it leads to second guessing themselves to really doubtful behavior, um, micromanagement. It's just, it, it is um, do, the domestication in a big way that uh, then winds up being the exact opposite of what um, men, women ultimately want or some of them want. And, and second to that, I would say that I think women have a responsibility to learn how to yield because I can just speak for myself. I, I love being in a boardroom. I love what that does and, and the, that solar feminine that I get to bring out and that transition back to home where I am a mother and a wife and I want to have polarity with my husband. Uh, and, and by the way, he may be in a more yin moment and that's just perfect. You know, I get to come in and that's really attractive to him. But I think again, there isn't a pat answer. It, it goes back to presence and moment to moment, that inner discernment and connection what, with what is the highest way that I can embody love right now and being adaptive and willing and courageous enough to um, move with those energies and uh, play and have fun with it too. It's not that serious. It's so interesting. We go so deep. A lot of, I find a lot of it's all, all like wounded child. And it's so interesting how often uh, we've made that wrong. And I, and I really love your opening statement of like wholehearted to me, wholehearted is accepting, you know, just, I really resonate with what you're saying. It's like wholeheartedness is accepting our, our brokenness and our wholeness simultaneously. So we accept both when a lot of what we're doing is we're going really deep and, and feeling into the heart and get, kind of getting through it all and seeing like, Oh, at the core, it's just my wounded child. That's always going to come up. So, and I like the context. So I'm just thinking of a grounded exercise that maybe a man listening and he's going, Oh man, that's my girl. You know, my girl just is whipping me with her tongue and what she says. And I, you know, and I'm thinking of a couple of the guys on an accountability call. We do, we do weekly accountability after and, you know, one of the exercises like oh, a lot of the guys surprisingly are working on the relationship and saying, Hey, I'd like to reduce my anger. I'd like to reduce how I'm feeling and treat my, my children and my family better. And then they get in. And when, one, one night we were talking about, Oh, cause I remember reading it a while ago, you can't fight if you're hugging somebody. So in the middle of a fight, like interrupt, like you were talking about earlier, a pattern interrupt. And again, if, if, if somebody's listening to this and you're kind of going, what are you guys talking about? Uh, Jessica earlier was saying, uh, Tony Robbins would have a basic frame that you're you're kind of playing the story is a pattern. So in the context of let's say a fight, you think that you're reacting to an argument, but you're really just playing a pattern. Or your partner saying uh, you know whatever's coming out. So in order to get yourself to change, you have to play it, interrupt that that song that's playing almost like a record that's playing. You have to scratch the record out and put on a new record. And so we were talking about pattern interrupts, and one of the pattern interrupts we talked about was. You're fighting and actually just go, oh, if you're fighting, it's because you want love. At the base core level, there's a need for love. So instead of getting in the fight, and a lot of times it's almost like they're fighting, we're fighting, and it's going back and forth, and everybody protects their heart and goes and isolates. And at the core, we're fighting because we're wanting love, and it's just we haven't learned sometimes how to communicate it, or we've been triggered. 
So one of our wounded child is, is protecting by the tongue. So the compassionate side of the man, this, I, and I, I like the reframe on this. I think the new badass is the man who's strong enough to, to how he's physically like on the battlefield. He's strong enough to be vulnerable with his emotions and not courageous to go, Oh wow, I'm getting triggered. What, where's, what's, what's my wounded child? What's happening? And actually feel into the heart and go, Oh man, that's my wounded child that, that feels like it's not enough. And it's okay. It's, I'm not enough sometimes. And that's all right. And to love that part in us. And as we do, it's like, Oh, I can then, if I love it in me, I can love it in my partner. And there's not a need to change it or to protect my heart from feeling triggered of not enough by reacting back and trying to lash out. Cause I, that's typically the pattern I see. It's almost like the woman's and, and what I'm discovering is I think a lot of times uh, that is because the man hasn't been present. So the irony is the woman's like wanting attention. She's wanting presence. She's like, give me presence, give me presence. Cause the man hasn't been showing up. He's been in his head. He's been like avoiding, numbing, distracting, living in past present or avoiding his child. And so she kind of like taps him. Hey, <laughs> give me some attention. Give me some attention. And then if he doesn't listen, if he's not present, I feel like it gets louder and eventually it becomes a pattern for her. So in rewiring that, I find it dropping in our hearts and, and having compassion and loving and doing, doing things differently, like smiling or I have a guy that sets his alarm clock like five times a day and it's just an alarm to, to check in. And he might do something like give his wife a hug or give her a kiss behind the ear or send her a message. And they're the littlest things, but he's noticing the fights are subsiding. The, I guess the tongue where she's angry and coming at him is subsiding because he's filling up her tank. And so she doesn't need to take it anymore because he's filling her up ahead of time. So just if there's any men listening, I wanted to add that side in is sometimes we feel helpless. And I think a lot of times you can be like, Oh, it's their fault. I don't, uh, it's all her fault. <laughs> Unless she changes, we can't change. But I think you can, you can have a sense of empowerment by owning, owning your feelings um, and coming from love and then filling up the tank. So there's no need to take it. And then if it is, if it does happen, uh, creating the boundary to acknowledge how you feel. And that's really hard for men. I find is to say like, Oh, that, that hurts. <laughs> right. Like, man, that was really painful. Like I came home excited to see you and I feel really hurt right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time digesting this, like just to communicate how you feel. And, and, uh, cause I guess what I'm observing is um, most of us men, we stay in our head and then go right to the next head. So just as a, as a practice, how do we wholeheartedly go into the heart, open up the heart and feel. And, and I'm curious, maybe from the feminine as well, you know, we're talking a lot about maybe if there's men listening, how to do it. And men can, men can put up a lot of walls and, 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 you know, what's maybe on the flip side, your perspective on, on women and the female side, um, um, like on the counter of that. I so appreciate what you were just sharing, Josh. I, um, I think the, the major opportunity for men right now is to slow things down enough to feel. And that that isn't going to interrupt their productivity and their effectiveness. It's just going to add to it because there's going to be more information online for them. Um, I'm a big fan of tickling. (laughs) I think it's virtually impossible to, as a pattern interrupt, like, like who the hell can stay in the same mood if you had just had a tickle moment? I don't know anyone. It breaks it up massively. I am a really big fan of the staycation. And I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with John and Missy Butcher's work of, of the life book, but 
Um, it's this it's this rich content whereby 12 domains of life are defined in the partnership where you define what you want, why you want it and how you're going to get there. And it's, it's my experience that uh, if you're not defining where you're running this three legged race, then you're going in oftentimes opposite directions or at a different cadence. And it's imperative that you keep that, your own legs strong because you know, completely getting absorbed into the union is, is never a healthy place to be. Although life will sometimes put you there and you need to lean on your partner um, by circumstance, but even more reason to, to stay well and healthy and whole so that if you need to sprint, if you need to carry it, that you actually have the wherewithal to do that. But um, the life book work is really about how to harness the co-creative capacity of the union, the partnership, and really supercharge it towards some amazing outcomes. But in order to do that, that you need to fill up the tank to what you're saying about filling her up. And I think that really comes with being uh, integrous to the self first. I think uh, we are over leveraged like to the maximus in society and we give to ourselves usually last. And even at that, it's seen as selfish. And I am on a personal mission to re-sculpt that for mothers, for leaders, that uh, it's imperative. And I think uh, our number one job to make sure that we're coming from an overflowing cup so that we give from that place of wholehearted generosity and fullness. And that um, from, from that place, we can have, like, we can give to our partner in a way that may not be innate to us because we, we have just more lining, we have more to give. And we need to often step out of our usual circumstances to look at each other and remember why we're doing this. Um, you know, if you're raising children, if you're running companies, like it's crazy town. It, it, I almost primarily work with um, leaders of major endeavors and entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, thought leaders who are raising children at the same time. And it is such a tall order that if we don't put into the rotation these times when we're taking ourselves offline to recharge, where we're recharging all the time by doing our, our practices and taking that really vigilantly or rigorously, and then also doing that for our partnership and having these moments of recharge and then defining where we're, we're guiding the ship um, and knowing, you know, using that as the guidepost and the North Star by which we make our decisions because otherwise um, it can very much feel futile. You know, like what am I doing this for and losing the why. And if I've seen anything in men, it's that, you know, leads to a a flaccid mojo. It's not having the why anymore behind what they're doing on the daily. And um, I'd really like to see that change. Yeah, absolutely. I think, 
when you get caught up in that, that treadmill or that rat race, if you will, it's, it's hard to stay focused on, you know, like you said, your why, um, you know, the core reason of, okay, why is it that I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing? And, you know, like you, I am a huge advocate of this. Um, you know, I'm the Johnny Appleseed of what I would call being spiritually selfish. And, you know, it's that whole, you know, analogy of the airplane mask that comes down to, you know, to fill yourself up first before you can but fill you weren't anybody always else up. That way. As someone who's known you for over a decade, I, I think you've definitely learned how to cultivate that over time. Um, you were so amazing at putting me first and putting, you know, almost, or I'll just say to, to your detriment and to my detriment, almost exonerating me Mm -hmm. or exalting me, I should say, um, in a, in a false way that I don't think ultimately served either of us because I knew that you needed to stand on your own two feet and what you were there for here for on this planet. And that though that could be in part to support me and what I was up to that it had the motivation needed to come from your own why and your own purpose and then be able to give from there. So it's cool to hear that that has recalibrated for you. Uh, it's been, it's been so big. And I think that's probably why I'm, I'm such a proponent of it is, you know, and again, hindsight, uh, is 2020 vision. Right. Um, but you know, in order for me to really give my gifts to the world, I, I had to fill myself up first. And, you know, I've really come to the point where I'm, I am just doing the world a disservice. My wife, a disservice, my employees, a disservice if I'm not filling myself up. And I think, you know, part of this process, or at least part of my process is identifying, you know, what that is. And I I think that's also a really big question is figuring out. And, and, you know, for the longest time, I didn't really know what Mm -hmm. that was. Mm -hmm. I had an idea, but sometimes going back to the whole, you know, connotation of the story, here are the things that I thought would fill me up. And, you know, at least for me, sometimes it's a series of um, significant emotional events that happened, right? <laughs> you know, where these things have, you know, could be some of the the, the biggest, the biggest blessings, if you will. Um, and, you know, that's something that me and Michelle try to really bring into to our marriage is that open communication of, we always want to make sure that we are filling ourselves up the absolute most. And, you know, how do we communicate that in a way to help support each other in that light? Like you need that. Well, maybe that light is not me asking you what you need. Maybe you need a little bit of space or you need to spend time with your girlfriends or you need to go for a run or whatever it happens to be. But we're, we're always trying to constantly build that muscle of, uh, supporting each other's highest because we know from that place that we come into the marriage without this place of need, right? This whole analogy of uh, you complete me or my better half just starts to disintegrate where I'm coming into this relationship to this marriage, if you will, 
whole and complete and you are whole and complete and, and we're going to support each other to be whole and complete. So when we do come together to this third entity, which is this, this beautiful marriage, we come into it from this beautiful synergistic mm-hmm. place. Um, you know, and that took a lot. And I have to say, so, um, you know, now that I guess that we're kind of segueing into uh, fulfillment in relationships, uh, Jessica and I dated for about two years. And God, it's it's been about 10 years ago. I think we met in 2007. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy uh, <laughs> how much time has flied. Um, but we were together for a couple years and uh, we, we were never engaged or about to be married, but it was, we, you know, we had points where we were talking about possibly like moving to Spain and, and, and life plans together. And, you know, I can only, I'll speak from my side where uh, as the relationship started to shift into a different direction, I started holding on a little bit more and almost, if you will, sacrificing a little bit who, who I essentially was and, um, you know, I'd love to get your feedback on this as well, but, you know, kind of after the, the dust had settled and I had moved on or we had, you know, kind of moved on from the relationship, I realized that that whole transition is what I needed to really help calibrate in filling myself up, you know, almost what, what you said. And, you know, I, you know, really thank God for that beautiful experience that we had, because from that place, it allowed me to step more into my masculinity, more as a leader, if you will, in my own domain to step up into relationships in a whole new level. Um, you know, there's a, there's this beautiful joke that uh, Michelle and I always share is this, she's so grateful for some of the past relationships that have led to how I show up in the relationship now and, you know, and vice versa for, you know, some of the men that she's dated. And, uh, you know, when I told her that we're going to be bringing on uh, Jessica, my ex-girlfriend onto the, onto the podcast, she was so excited and it just fills me up on such a beautiful level um, that we can have this, this beautiful dynamic and, be able to support each other directly and indirectly to each other's uh, highest spiritual growth. And if you go back to, I think it's the second podcast, I talk a little bit about this experience and just kind of my whole, like, um, I guess my, my warrior's journey, if you will, into coming into my own. And, you know, Jessica has been a big part of that, you know, through our dynamic. And so I, I've always really appreciated the, the journey that I went on through that, um, you know, through that experience. And so, you know, I'd love to get, you know, some of your feedback as well um, on, on your side and, you know, what some of that went through you, because I know through me, it was one of the most beautiful things that I had gone through. And it was also during the transition, it was, it was very painful and it was, it was hard and it was a learning experience for me. And, um, you know, again, hindsight, 2020, (laughs) but um, you know, I'd love to get, I'd love to get your feedback on that. Yeah. You know, um, I felt destined to have you in my life and saw visions of how we would meet and how it all came together, came to me months and months before we actually met. And so when 
the sequence of events just as I had seen them were playing out in real life, I took that to mean, you know, talk about creating a story in a fantasy line, that this meant that this was a forever um, love in my life and a romantic love. And what I came to learn is that it was, it was a forever love, a forever unconditional love. And yet the willingness in about a year and a half in, as I started getting clear that not only were we on different life paths, but that perhaps my omission from your life would be the very catalyst the va- in the vacuum of my presence would be the very catalyst for you to find yourself. And, you know, when I, when I felt that perhaps the most painful part of it was allowing for the um, dismantlement of that ego dream and fantasy. And it felt more, ro- more real to me than anything. It didn't feel necessarily conjured by my mind, but I, on the, on the tail end of, a uh, first marriage of a divorce, I was, uh, and tremendous amounts of healing work, I was so ready to give my whole heart to um, a relationship again. And so what I realized in that process, however, is that even though uh, it, it was becoming clear to me that the love was going to take another form, I had conjured a lot of resistance, judgment, and sort of internal dissonance in order to muster the wherewithal and the courage to bring that to you. And not only in that moment did you cleave more um, closely to me, but the message came in for me very, very clearly that I wasn't done with you as long as I was judging you. I was not complete with what we were here to share with one another as long as I held charge that was not loving or neutral. And so it led me down this discovery of, well, how will I know? You know, that that uncomfortable feeling when you know that the person that you're with or the partnership, the business partnership you're in, the um, project that you're doing maybe has a shelf life to it. The, first impulse is usually to cut your losses and hightail it out of there as soon as possible because facing the grief and doing that work of extricating yourself from these ways that we're in, you know, indelibly um, interwoven and connected is hard work, let alone to slow it down enough to go, did I get what I came here for? Did, have I, have I given and received what what this person um, showed up to to um, be for me and I for them. And so it took another six months for me to get very clear on what that was and to work closely with my teachers and a lot of reflections in order to just truly unconditionally love you no matter what. And at the t- by the time we actually parted ways, I would venture to say that you felt probably the the lowest about yourself that I've ever seen you feel and that um, it was 
so beautiful in the aftermath of that to watch what you did with it because you fulfilled the dreams mm. that you wanted to do. You um, went to Europe, you went on your sojourn and uh, did what you needed to because that was always your dream. And you wanted to take me on along with your dream because there was so much chemistry and connection. But the truth of the matter is it was your dream. And I wanted to jump on that dream because it was so magnetic as well. But I got real that it was just for you to do. And that mm. in the end, I'm so glad that I excused myself from the equation so that you could get that for yourself. And what you decided to do with it has been just nothing short of, of miraculous and beautiful. And what it did for me is it left a, a, a really clear runway for me to um, open up to my husband and to, I mean, it, like literally we couldn't have looked each other. We knew each other from a distance, but we never looked in each other's eyes uh, deeply before you and I had completed. And I knew that had we, had we done that, we would have felt in conflict, but literally it was not the right timing. And you, you can't see someone until you're ready to see someone. And I had a lot of work to do. And so did he um, before we could actually behold one another. And you need to do the same for being in relationship with Michelle. There were these things that, um, I raised my hand on high and said, I'll be this for Scott. And you raised your hand and said, I'll be this for you, Jessica, because I love you so much. And mm. I am so grateful for it because, you know, here we are 10 years later having a conversation and yet again, exploring how that by leaning into that and getting clear that, that love transcends these times and definitions with one another, that now we get to share this in a way that other people get to listen to and take what they want or need from this. And it continues to be um, a beautiful thing. It just has taken another form. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think at least speaking for me that this process really helped me. And I, th I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. It, it definitely helped me really transcend from loving someone from just a romantic place or um, just a heart place, if you will, to, to a higher heart place, if that makes sense to a, um, like a spirit, like a higher heart spiritual place of love. And, you know, that's something that it, it definitely allowed for me. And, you know, that transition that I went through from, you know, basically lo losing myself to a rebirth, if you will. And um, it was such a, such a beautiful transition for me. And, you know, I've got this muscle now and, you know, me and Michelle talk about this all the time where, you know, we had met a few years earlier, but we didn't really see each other almost what you were speaking about just a second ago and that we have this little internal joke with each other that we plan on being buried next to each other. And, um, you know, there's no doubt that 
you know, this is my quote unquote soulmate or someone who I'm destined to be with. But we also know that past change and sometimes the heart pulls us in a different direction. And one of the foundations that we have is that no matter what, we're going to support each other's highest, even if that means going into a different direction. And our relationship was the, it was the first relationship that I've had that did that, you know, that, that was there to really support, not from like, Ooh, I'm hurting. I need this, but let me support what you are here to give this world even if that means not being next to me in a romantic sense. And so, you know, we, we really have that foundation in our relationship. And so we always joke that, um, you know, we're, we're so in love with each other. Um, and, you know, the dynamic that we have in a relationship is so great. But if for whatever reason our past diverged and we were to come into something else that, we're so excited to see who, you know, we set ourselves up for, for the next relationship because we're coming to it from such a place of love, if you will. And, you know, the, the one thing that, that I would even like to say to some of our listeners is, you know, I think sometimes we hold on to relationships uh, a little bit too long you know, and I think we had this this conversation where I think the the longer that we're in them, the more we're vested in, in in holding tighter, if you will. But if we really come from the framework that every relationship, whether it's three days, three weeks, three years, or thirty years, if we allow it to be a catalyst for further growth and expansion, if you will into those new realms, into those new relationships, into those new uncharted territories. And um, to me, that helps me just navigate without having to hold on to someone to complete my happiness, right? Which is, I think, one of the most selfish things you can do because there's no one outside of you that has control over your happiness, right? Ultimately, that's your choice. Now, there's there's influences and heavy influences from the outside, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's your choice. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm so honored to, you know, have you on this podcast 10 years later and know that our relationship is solid and beautiful. But I also know that if for whatever reason, our vibration kind of diverged a little bit and our past went a certain way and we weren't there to, ultimately support each other's highest that I'm actually okay with that dissipating as well. But because we are kind of on a similar trajectory, if you will, that the universe just kind of puts us in the same realm together and on the same podcast together. Um, and so it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. And so I almost come into relationships with that um, mm-hmm. intention but not that expectation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, there's so much to say in response to that, but I think uh, the, the short and skinny of it is, is that I think that if we slowed down our, our like beastly animalistic um, pheromony connections with one another to, and slowed the row a little bit to go, what is the highest for this connection that we may 
um, actually discover that it may not be one of like physical nature or romantic partnership, but that that chemistry could actually be um, wanting to be expressed in other ways. And though I don't think that that was the case with us, I, I do know or sense that, you know, who, who I am and the path that I have been on and, and was on um, helped inform in part who you've become and looking at what I got into and the things I introduced you to and, you know, the, the, thing, the ways that I challenged you. And it just goes to show that if we, if we pay attention, we're always being sculpted by our experiences and, um, you know, to the, to the point about transitions, I think that, um, it's so mature for us to allow things to take another shape and form. I am with the exception of my ex-husband, strangely enough, who, who I feel like is hermetically sealed from me. I, I, I think this is uh, God's way of just saying you are not going back. Um, but everyone else in my life since every lover I've ever had any are, are like deep allies and friends and we may go in and out of each other's lives, but that there's an understanding and a deep respect and honor for the place that we've held for one another. And we've allowed it to transition into something else, but that critical exercise of, you know, what do I need to learn for myself before I'm complete with this? You know, some of the more like yin internal reflections around that, you know, what, what do I need to heal? What is this person bringing up for me that I get to get good with uh, before I'm complete? Um, you know, and then there's the, like the more strategic thinking, the more young way around this, which is how will I know when this is complete? How will I know in my gut, like, what does success look like? Because we will recreate circumstances in order for these things to be known by us. Um, you know, make it explicit and, and anchor in what, in a, in a feeling state, what a, um, a good goodbye would look like. What would the conclusion of this chapter look like in a good way? And I, uh, again, I'm holding this intention that, that this can happen for all kinds of relating. I mean, imagine if, you know, through acquisitions and mergers and um, peace treaties and such that we were able to, our, our leaders were able to hold this very high intention as they're negotiating and navigating these waters. I just think that uh, the world would be utterly transformed. Yeah, you know, I, what I love about it is you guys are both married in relationship and so beautifully talked about how to transparently talk through uh, uncoupling, people would call it, or they, you know, for people say uncoupling, and for people say just transition. But what I'm hearing is the transparency and accepting the way things are when they shift. And I, I find that from this another perspective of somebody's listening and let's say you're single. And you're wanting to go into conscious relationship or you're looking for partnership. I'm, I'm discovering for myself walking into new connections without an expectation 
and, and really just observing the energy. And I know from the past, like, I think the caveman energy, at least from a guy's perspective, I'll speak from the guy's perspective was like, Oh, there's a, there's a woman physically or aesthetically or whatever it was that meets your needs. And then I wasn't as present. I wasn't in the now I was in the moment. I was, I was taking that to a fantasy. And then, you know, when you're also projecting somebody else you want to be, and then you, you know, think the masks come off and you realize like, Oh, do we get along? <laughs> and, and I, what I'm finding is the more I take the mask off and get comfortable integrating, I guess, you know, the, the part of myself who was the boy um, and the part of myself who's the man and, and learn to accept all those, then there's no need to uh, fill the void, if you will, with fantasy. And, and I'm finding there's a lot more of like actually respect, honor, um, presence, integrity. And, and it's look, it's actually seeing somebody for who they are. And then I loved how you put it like feeling. So it's a lot of times like, okay, let's, let's connect and feel and actually talk transparently. And, and it, whatever shows up, honor that. And, and I, I find it's a really beautiful way to live, but it's again, it, it, it takes a lot of courage. I see a lot of people ghost. I see a lot of people get uncomfortable and they walk away or they do whatever. And I find that Man, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to a deep partnership and go to that type of place, how do we respect somebody enough to transparently communicate whatever shows up? And I find if it's not about them, if it's about us, for example, and we're actually able to communicate, like, hey, I'm thinking of a recent uh I, I dated somebody recently and then I just felt the shift and I felt like, oh, this I'm not being more inspired, I'm not being uh, more called to my purpose. I'm actually feeling uh, and that's what I'm craving is that energy. And so as soon as I knew, I, as soon as I knew it, I just had a transparent conversation to say, Hey, wow, I really respect you. And because I do, I'm wanting to communicate and, uh, transition, transition this to a friendship. If you're open to it, um, versus a romantic love, you know, versus romance romance, because I'm clear this, this isn't, it would be different already. And I'm, and I know, and I think, I'm speaking to a point earlier. I, I forget Jessica or Scott, if you made it of that, a lot of couples stay in relationships too long that aren't serving them. And I can speak for myself. I did this a lot. I would, I would go into a relationship and something wouldn't work. And I would, uh, you know, spending 15, 20 years of personal development, I would try to fix it. <laughs> and I did so much work and it's, it's all beautiful. And I'm so grateful for it. And now the place where I'm at is I think they were all things to avoid being present. I think they were all things to avoid feeling. And I think now it's just like, hey, how do we tap into our heart and feel what the truth is and have the courage to authentically communicate it and also to authentically honor, I think this is what ties into what you both were saying earlier, honor ourself enough. And I really think it's true love to honor another partner because I, from the masculine, what I discovered is if something doesn't feel right, it doesn't matter what I do to try to quote unquote fix it or change myself. Uh, and uh, at the core level, I feel like the partner feels not enough. And, and what I've learned is like, wow, I'm, I'm really doing a disservice to my partner because I can't show up present for them if I'm not all in. If I'm not wholeheartedly like, this is it, I'm all in, you know, like, like there's no back road. If there's any part of me questioning that, then it's, it's my job to get clear in my heart and to communicate openly uh, with what that is. So I, I just want to speak on the side of those that are, single and dating or, you know, open to partnership and, and navigating that from both a man and a woman's perspective. I think uh, my opinion is it's, I'm, I'm learning this. So I make mistakes and I'm still learning as I go. I've, I've, 
I, I've done a little ghost eating and then caught myself and had to communicate because it's uncomfortable. So I, I'm guilty as, as well. And I think you can always correct it. And I'm also realizing the flip. I think there's a sense of uh, I've had it happen to me where somebody disappeared and I, I'm realizing I owe it to them. If I care about them to actually communicate that to them that, Hey, you know, this is how you respect somebody. Because again, I think at the end of the day, it's not about us. It really isn't. And, and um, it's about respect and communication. And I think the ultimate respect you can give another person is transparency and, and authenticity, even if it's uncomfortable and it's really uncomfortable. I find those friendships uh, are so beautiful because it's, it's based on truth, right? It's not based on a, um, the questioning. Right. And I think we question other people because we don't know if they can handle it, but really I would, Anybody that's listening, I would challenge you. It's the flip. Can you handle it? You know, can can you do you have the strength and the courage to not about them, but reach in your heart and, and communicate what what your truth is? Uh, so well spoken. I I was listening to a book um, for school uh, mm-hmm. by David White, who is just a prolific poet. If you haven't read any of his work, but this one's called the, the three marriages. And he really poignantly explains that so often what we're looking for in someone else is what we're denying ourselves. And I, I think to have the audacity and the gumption, the moxie to put yourself forth with transparency and um, it's sort of standing naked and vulnerable. Brene Brown's work on vulnerability, it speaks exactly to this direct correlation between the amount of vulnerability we're willing to experience and our level of happiness. And I'm so grateful that I mustered the willingness to do so. And I feel that that is exactly why I was able to have the kind of love that I have with my husband. We did the exact opposite of what usually we didn't have a honeymoon period. In fact, um, (laughs) we joke that I, we, I don't even think we had a quote first date in a, in a sort of typical storybook way for almost six months because we were so committed to uh, doing deep work in each other's presence that, that we now have this funny thing like, well, if you, if you love me when I'm at my worst, then you'll definitely love me at my best. And not that completely showing your ass and expecting people to stick around or, or mistreating them, that's not the point. But it's more about erring on the side of this is who I am and it's not your problem. It's not for you to fix me. But here is me willing to expose my evolution my willingness to work on myself. And if you're down for that ride, let's walk into the mystery together and have the anchor point of our relationship be our willingness to grow and evolve because all the stuff on the outside can, will, and does fall apart. What, what can be omniscient, what can like, be everlasting is that devotion to know thyself. And if you've chosen someone who is equally yoked in this way, then you, you have novelty, right? You're, you're constantly exploring something new. I, I don't know what it's like to see my husband be the parent of our almost three-year-old. Like 
I knew what he was like as a parent yesterday, but not tomorrow and not a year from tomorrow. And we continue to, to um, shine a light on these new pieces. And, and in so doing, we see each other with fresh eyes. And if we're not capable, willing to um, renew who we are to ourselves and one another, then we will need to hit eject in order to um, grow spiritually. And this is ultimately why many of us choose to, um, you know, uh, distance ourselves from our families of origin because there isn't room to evolve beyond the little boy or girl that they've held us to be and the whole dynamic and the infrastructure within our family that I, I am so committed to being that for our daughter and, and having the, um, the wherewithal and the commitment to continuing to um, create new thoroughfares of love in my heart. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, I did have a quick question for you. Um, it was mentioned, I think, by both of you a little bit earlier um, about you know, when do you know and when do you actually have the strength to know when to leave a relationship? Mm. It's a theme that um, has not only been strong in my own life, but I see it so often in my practice where there's so much uh, tied history and emotions but I think at, at their core level, I think there's um, almost like a deep knowing that the relationship has kind of run its course and, and served its job, if you will. But I do know that that seems to be such a, an incredible, difficult um, coming to terms with. And, you know, what, what suggestions would you have for someone to, to kind of a recognize that? and then be like, have the strength to, to move forward on that? Uh, I think it, it always comes down to some deep inner inquiry um, and the motivation behind why you are looking to or are sensing that it's complete. Um, you know, a, a couple questions I, I like to encourage people to ask is, is your heart still in it? Are you still growing and learning, even if it's challenging? Are you, are you finding new edges and terrain within yourself? Um, is this endeavor meeting your core needs and is it aligned with your values? And what does your gut say, regardless of how successful or idealistic it looks on the outside? I know a lot of people who have built, you know, like House of Cards, a, a a seemingly powerful, um, you know, power couple sort of uh, expression. But then, then there's this sense of needing to uphold what people project on you uh, rather than maybe getting real that it, it may be time for it to shift. Um, and what I'll say about that is that I believe that most relationships I've ever seen who have longevity and are worth emulating are, are have quote many deaths. 
So sometimes in asking these questions, you feel more towards like, well, I really got what I came here for. I, I was looking to satisfy this, you know, I'll just tip my hand and speak um, candidly. What you did, Scott, uh, for me was help heal a part of me that was fractured after a divorce and needing to feel really um, valued and cherished and adored. You you, you satisfied and satiated a piece of me that um, had really been um, beat up. And I, your love helped resolve that inside of me. And I knew that that was a big part of my healing. So it's asking these questions like, what, why did I come into this relationship to begin with? Most people don't ask themselves that it's just much more carnal, um, or a, a fantasy reel. Why did I come into this to begin with? What were my intentions? What was I seeking? And have those been fulfilled? You know, it, it seems a little um, uh, potentially mechanistic to look at it this way, but I encourage everyone to get intentional about why they do things and then be candid about are they getting what they came for or what needs to be course corrected? And many relationships, if you if you're in them long enough, need to come to some place of completion before they can um, move forward. You know, my husband and I have been through maybe three or four of these. They haven't been breakups. They haven't been going our separate ways. It's been a completion of a phase of how we've been relating and our dynamic. You can call it karma. You can call it baggage. You can call it whatever we brought in and we're, we're constantly working with. But that in order to, again, grow spiritually, be seen with new eyes, we have to renegotiate the playing field sometimes. Sometimes that's a full stop, as in we are now not living together. We are not bonded by the you know institution of marriage. And sometimes it's we are majorly renegotiating the terms of how we are dancing. Um, we just went through one of these and it was one of the most friggin' intense things that I've been through. I love this man dearly. Uh, I don't see us parting ways anytime soon, but the willingness to put it all out there and get okay with the fact that, you know, all I can do at the end of the day is keep being true to myself, having the courage to keep showing up with an open heart and love for the sake of loving. Uh, that kind of leads into something that I, I wanted to, to bring up from earlier and I thought it would be fun. Um, you know, with the three of us on, maybe we could think of some pattern interrupts and you talked about, you know, re sometimes it's renegotiating the relationship. Um, sometimes it's just doing pattern interrupts, I think too, and, and kind of changing what we're doing. So I, I loved your idea of tickling. I think that is amazing. I thought it might be fun just to kind of brainstorm the three of us of different pattern interrupts we all use. Um, and to kind of get a, a couple of them, cause as you were saying that I, I remembered, one is the hug. You can interrupt with just like hugging somebody, not letting them go. Um, and you're really close to them. Uh, another one that I, I did once is I, I dated a, a woman who would, when she would cry her body, she'd kind of like go run in the room and she'd kind of get in a ball and she'd cry. And I'd chase her in there and I'd pin her arms and legs up and down and she'd start laughing. 
and it would it would interrupt the pattern of like a fight, which would isolate and then turn into it to like play. And then she'd start laughing and it'd bring us closer together. And so I just didn't know of any other ones um, that you guys would think of. I know there's a rubber band snap and things like that, but I didn't know either Scott or Jessica, just different pattern interrupts. So somebody's either in it or out of it, like get out of your head, get into your heart. What can interrupt your state for the moment to go like, oh, check back mm-hmm. in and feel. <laughs> I, I have some... <laughs> A couple right. unconventional ones. I mean, I, I, um, sometimes I just grab my man's, um, parts <laughs> and I just like, I, I, I'll just gently cup his balls and like try to say the same thing to me while I'm like holding you in this way. And it, something shifts. Um, obviously you're not doing that with your boss. Um, I, we have a, there's a, there's a Hebrew prayer that we recite and basically translates to holy, holy, holy Lord God on high. And it calls forth when one of us sings this, it goes, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Sebaiyoh. And it is bringing in the holy and the other one will kind of fight it, but we'll keep singing it until the other one starts singing it. And inevitably, it's like shining the light into the shadows. I love that. Can you can you say that one more time? Can you sing that one more time? You can look this up. It's it's very for anyone of the Hebrew tradition. This will resonate with you. But for everyone else, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Oh, that was awesome. And it's meant to be sung at least three times. And it literally is just calling in the the voice and the energy of the divine. And so do you mostly do that? I would imagine with your husband or do you have friends yes. that do it to where when you bring it up, it's like, Oh, all of a sudden there's a state change. There's this feeling of like, Oh, wow. I, I know what um, my neuro association is to that song. And it just kind of, I guess, reframed the situation. Yeah. There's a few of us that, that know and use this song. Another thing that I've, uh, there's a, a beautiful um, African, you know, practice um, in some tribal cultures where when a woman is pregnant, they will go in deep into nature and listen for the child's song, the indelible, unique vibration of that human. And that that song is then taught to the villagers and is sung at the time of birth. It is sung at the time of their marriage. It is sung at these rites of passage, including their transition. And the only other time that it's sung is when this person is committed some aberrant act and the song calls them back to who they are. And so we have a song like that for my daughter. We tuned into it the night before like I was overdue and we tuned into it. And the next day she, I went into labor and when she's, like really fussy we will sing it for her and it calls her back to center 
but I believe anyone can really tune into their song. And there's something, you know, you know, in, in being a musician, Scott, and having a musician as a wife, there's something about not using traditional words, um, but using harmonics and, and frequency to disrupt things. I think another pattern interrupt is just cranking amazing music. And like, huh, I can't hear you because I'm dancing so hard. <laughs> um, and just having impromptu booty shaking dance party um, in the middle of an argument. Um, That's it. I just wanted to comment on that real quick. That's actually what, because uh, I do team, uh, culture building with teams. And we created a pattern interrupt when um, for the office to crank some music to, to get them back into the state with what's going on. And to make it fun. So we're like, Hey, when, when, and we did it when there's kind of the energy is a little bit off in the office and we did a lot of conflict resolution and it's all this wounded child, kind of the same, same stuff in conflict. But we, we said, Hey, when, when there's kind of a little bit of tension, what can we do as a team to support everybody to get us back together as a family? And so they have a song that they play and they actually, they, I was like, can, can we do that? And so they all agreed to it so that what they do is, to dental practice, but to make it fun and to make it creative, they literally crank this music and everybody in the office starts dancing. So it's like you're sitting there in your chair and all of a sudden they crank the music and everybody plays their part. And so it gets everybody back on the same page and, and reduces the tension and it makes it fun and it kind of gets them back in a state. And so it's a great pattern interrupt and they're on board and, and it becomes fun. And every, and even the patients are like, this is great. What are you guys doing? Like, Oh, we're having fun. We're dancing. You know? So it's a, uh, I wanted to comment on the music because I think it can be used really powerfully. Oh, awesome. You know, um, just really quick before we close everything off, the the three things that I do, and it's interesting as we're talking, the the only pattern interrupts I really have is with my intimate partner, with my wife. Um, but the three are compliments. I find compliments are fantastic, especially when you're in a heated moment. You're like, my God, have I just told you how much you light me up? Or just, God, you look really beautiful today. Or you know, how, whatever she means to you in your life. I, I found compliments work really well. Um, uh, I try to do holding and tickling, like what Jessica said, or if we're near some type of couch or bed to like really get her on the ground and horizontal and kind of break that physical state. Uh, and the third one, when I really want to get the, the vibe going as far as liveliness and energetics, we have been on this huge kick for the last three years of 80s music, like pop 80s music, and it just changes the state. Hollow notes, you cannot. <laughs> I mean, we're, ta- we're, we're, I mean, we're talking the Go Go's, Cindy Lauper, yeah. like it's it's yeah. fantastic, and it's hard not to be just up and pippy when that music's on, and when I put it on because I just I literally have like with a Pandora or you know like just ready to, to to cast out to the speakers. It just it all of a sudden changes, and it also shows her. Hey, look, I'm trying to, to change the state. I know those are just a few things that I like to do. I know we're kind of running out of time here. There are still so many things that we didn't want to touch up on, and, and we'll have to probably bring this on for, for another episode. And, you know, I really want to, to really tackle the question of, of what a seed farmer has to do with fulfillment, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll cap that for another time. But really want to, Thank you for coming on to the show. You know, I've got so much love for you personally, mm-hmm. and um, it's just so beautiful to to see our evolution of of the relationship. and And it's really an honor to to have you here 
on the podcast. And so before we go ahead and close up, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about you know what you're doing and maybe how they can get a hold of you, maybe some projects that you're working on. How how can people learn a little bit more about you know what your heart has to offer? Sure thing. I run a consultancy called Fierce Grace. And you can find that at fiercegraceconsulting.com. And uh, yeah, it's it's really shaping up to be a bit of like a Charlie's Angels consultancy of dynamic women um, uh, to support the coming of a new paradigm. I um, do work with individuals uh, and organizations. And I also live at a place called the Emerald Village, and that can be found at theemeraldvillage.com. We are an intentional community in Southern California. Um, We once a month have people come in for tours and for those who want to learn more about what sort of the um, progressive modern way of the return to tribal living looks like. you know, this is just an experiment. It's a social experiment. And we've been going on for seven years now. And I think the writing is on the wall that we need to start sharing and communing with greater intention if we want things to go in a beautiful direction and course correct and just come back to cultivating family in a really wholehearted way. So those are the two primary ways to get a hold of me. Oh, well, thank you again. And um, we'll put a link in the show notes for anybody that wants to see what Jessica is up to. Thank you so much. And we would look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks, All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Much love to you both. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take your personal, relational or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.